you'll please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 18 this morning, where we're continuing on in our study of 2 Corinthians, kind of chapters 1 through 7. Paul is defending his ministry, but also giving the content of that ministry, the new covenant ministry. And the last few chapters, 8 and 9, we're um, reminding them to be generous as God has been generous with them. And now we turn to these last few chapters and kind of Paul dives in a little bit more and in the defense of his ministry especially. And last week, um, Dan led us through the first six verses of this chapter where Paul used this war imagery to show how he battles against things in this world that are fortified, that are hostile to God, that are against the understanding of God. And the main point, or at least what I put down, Dan can correct me later on this, was that confrontation with the divine power of the gospel is the only way to topple these places. The only thing that can defeat them. And it's a strategy that makes no sense to the world. It flips it on its head because it's a strategy the world rejects. And so Paul's going to continue on this morning with our passage flowing out of what he just said. So let's see what God has to say to us through Paul this morning in 2 Corinthians 10. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have not left us on our own. We ask that you would help us this morning, that your spirit would illuminate to our hearts and minds, that we might see what you're saying. We ask your spirit would change us to make us more like Christ through it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do any of you know who the best boss in the world is? It's Michael Scott from The Office. He has the mug to prove it. They do these talking heads where they interview them, and he's rambling on. He says, people say that I'm the best boss. They go, we've never worked at a place like this before. You're hilarious, and you get the best out of us. Then he holds up 
his mug that says world's best boss and says, I think that pretty much sums it up. And then he casually goes on to mention that he actually bought the mug for himself from Spencer's Gifts. If you've watched the show, you know that despite what Michael might truly believe about himself and despite what his mug says, he is in fact not the world's best boss. In reality, he's not even a good boss, though he does have some redeeming qualities. But he is the boss of the regional branch of a mid-sized paper company. And he doesn't miss an opportunity to boast about it. He loves to remind his employees of that fact. He's the boss, and they're not. As we watch shows or read books, we often relate to the characters that are in them, to in a way see ourselves in them. And as much as we might not want to relate to Michael Scott, I think we all tend to in this area. That we have this tendency to boast about ourselves compared to others, whether it's our position, like Michael, our accomplishments, our skills, our looks. It's obviously what I've got to boast about the most. CJ, you weren't supposed to laugh. (laughs) Or whatever else it is that gives us a leg up, right? That makes us feel good, that we can justify ourselves, that we can say we're worth it, that we matter, that we have value. It's how we set set ourselves apart from our peers, who we often, unfortunately, view as our competition, Many of us probably don't do this like super explicitly. We all know the one-uppers, right? That anytime you say anything, they've done it better, had it more. So most of us don't do that. But I think we tend to. We throw out an accomplishment. We drop a recognizable name. We mention something that we've done, something that we know people will notice. And be like, oh, okay. We tend to do these things that will set us apart. I catch myself doing this. I try to repent of it. I think many of you can probably relate. Others of you have better manners. You know not to say it out loud, but it's still this inner monologue in your own heart. You don't say it, but you're thinking it. It's still there. And then some of us want so badly to not be the people that boast like that, that we boast about not boasting like those people, right? Hope you catch the irony there, doing it anyway. Why do we do this? Because we often still look at things the way the world does. We still value the same things the world values. To use Paul's language from earlier in the book, we still have a tendency to regard ourselves and others according to the flesh. In our passage this morning, Paul is going to call the Corinthians to something better. By interacting with his detractors, that's kind of who it focuses on, Paul's going to show them that this is exactly what they're doing. They're valuing what the world values, and they're lifting themselves up, comparing themselves to others, even Paul. They think this gives them value. It makes them worthwhile. It makes them worthy. But in the end, it will get them nowhere. And insofar as the Corinthian church falls prey to their ministry and follows them in it, they're trading out the gospel of God's grace for this shiny, empty shell that will collapse. 
And I'll just say that especially as we're looking at this, much of what Paul says is really closely tied to this specific situation in Corinth, right? That's wrapped up, especially in his role and authority as an apostle, which is unique. So it can be challenging to get this one-to-one application to where we are in the church today. But that said, I believe the principles behind his argument and what he's saying do directly apply and equally apply to us as well. We have this same tendency to compare ourselves to others, to boast about ourselves. And that's clearly what Paul's detractors were doing. So Paul brings this to the surface. And then he gives this correction at the end, what the whole passage builds toward. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. But before he gets there, he shows us first that if we compare ourselves to others, we are reflecting the values of the world. And then second, if we compare ourselves to others, we aren't understanding the gospel. First, if we compare ourselves to others, we we are reflecting the values of the world. Look with me at verse 7. He says, look at what is before your eyes. Paul's kind of chiding the Corinthians here. Calvin puts it this way, that they've been dazzled with this empty show. These guys that are arguing against Paul. They're seeing these guys that carry themselves well, that argue well, that look good, that are eloquent, and they're looking down on Paul because he doesn't exemplify these same traits. But Paul reminds them, he says, if you're confident that you're Christ, then remember, so are we. This remember, think back, how did you even hear of Christ? You can't have any confidence of my message without remembering that I brought it to you. My ministry hasn't changed. The way you're looking at it has. So Paul begins to boast, a theme that will continue through chapter 12. And he begins boasting about his authority. He says in verse 8, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, I think that too much is more more than I like, not a more than is warranted. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. On the surface, we can see someone claiming authority, and our knee-jerk reaction is to push back against it, especially in our culture. We don't like authority. We don't like people above us. We want to do what we want to do. I mean, you think... John Cougar Mellencamp, authority, right? I fight authority, authority always wins. We don't like it. But the thing is, authority isn't a bad thing. When it's used properly, it's really good. We actually need it. We need someone in authority over us because we're not God. But that's another sermon for another time. But Paul's detractors, it's not mentioned explicitly, but they're claiming authority too but not for the same reason as Paul. Paul, following Jesus, doesn't obtain or use authority the way the world does. He tells us of his authority's provenance and its purpose from where it comes and what it's for right after he mentioned it. He says the Lord gave it to him. And it's for the building up of the Corinthians and not destroying them. It's not something that was taken or earned. It was given by God. 
And it's for the good of the people. That's why he says that he doesn't want to frighten them with his letters. They're meant to build them up. Not to scare them, but to build them up. But in comfort and the grace of God and in righteousness. Not in worldly ease or pleasure or prestige. But for their good. He's not trying to throw his weight around. He's trying to help them. He's trying to build them up. Similar to what he said in chapter 1 when he says, We don't lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. It's for your good. So you might know Christ more deeply. But they aren't seeing this gospel shape of his authority. They're seeing things from the world's perspective. They're only looking at what's on the surface. He writes these intense letters. But when he comes, he's just a short, bald guy with a big nose and a unibrow that doesn't say anything that captivates them. Sorry if you're a short, bald guy with a big nose and a unibrow. It's not a bad thing. It's Paul. Right? He doesn't have this charisma. He isn't eloquent. His rhetoric isn't polished. That's what his opponents are telling them as they're comparing themselves to him and trying to usurp the authority God has given him. As Dan mentioned last week, 2 Corinthians can feel a lot like listening to one side of a phone call. Right? But here we actually get a little bit back. Paul quotes what they're saying. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Weak there and of no account is the same as weak and despised from our assurance of pardon, too. If you want to go back and see those connections. But we don't have a hard time imagining this in our day and age of social media and comment sections on the internet. Right behind a keyboard, you got some keyboard warriors out there. Then you get them in person and they're silent, don't say anything, back down, don't walk the talk. Right, we get that. By implication, these detractors are saying we aren't like that. They look good. They speak well. They're the type of people you'd want to follow. But Paul says, let the people saying this understand that what we say when we're away, we do when we're there. We do back up our talk with action. We're consistent, but it doesn't work the way the world does. You want us to come put on a show like the world would, one according to the flesh, but that's not what we do. We come with the divine power of a message of Christ. It's this paradox of Christianity that life comes through death, that what you count as wisdom is foolishness, that weakness is actually strength. Paul's authority and ministry have the shape of the gospel. It doesn't conform to the values of the culture. It's not what looks good on the outside. Christ didn't and Paul doesn't. It's not a worldly display of power. Christ didn't raise up an army to defeat the Romans. He died on a cross and rose again to defeat sin and death. 
Paul doesn't come and physically fight, get into these big dust-ups with these detractors. He destroys strongholds and arguments against the knowledge of God by preaching the gospel. It all reflects and points to Jesus. It's a brick phone in a smartphone world. It's not flashy. It's not eloquent. It's not going viral. Can you follow someone like that? Or do we want what the world values? It's the question, isn't it? Like if we're measuring our success by comparing ourselves with others, we're using the metrics that the world uses and reflecting its values. If we're doing that, then we're already operating under this false paradigm that Christ would reject and that Paul would reject. Will we use those metrics? Or do we want ministry that's shaped like the gospel? It can be slow and steady, not flashy, hard. Do we really want to look like Jesus? Or do we want to use Jesus to make something of ourselves? we compare ourselves to others we're reflecting the values of the world next if we compare ourselves to others we aren't understanding the gospel look with me at verse 12 six times in this verse Paul uses this reflexive pronoun ourselves themselves one another it's all about us it says not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now Paul's especially talking about those who are commending themselves in their ministry, especially over and against his own. And he says he wants nothing to do with that. And he goes on to talk about how they do it, how they're judging others. And I think that sentence there is a good summary of the human condition. Right? Always looking at others. Measuring ourselves against them. Always comparing. Where we can come out ahead. Where we fall short. Over and over. For some of us, this is a pretty easy game to play. We like it. When we measure ourselves up against others, we come out on top. In many ways, we look superior. And we convince ourselves of that then can look down on others. For others, we do it, but it's devastating. When we feel that we don't measure up, that we don't have anything to offer, we either have to work harder to make it happen, or we have to sit there in it with these feelings of envy, inferiority, or despair, without hope. Or it can be this vicious cycle where depending on what's going on in our lives or depending on who we're looking at, we're good and then we're not. We're good and then we're not. And on and on it goes. Where are you in this process? Is 
Paul says those who are doing this are without understanding. You can prop yourself up or keep yourself down, but you're not seeing reality. You're seeing who you think you are in relation to others. Picking whatever benchmark or standard you choose. Paul says, I don't dare to do that. He knows the futility of it. He knows that it's a mirage anyway, that it's not real. And it doesn't matter. Later, Paul says that it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. not bad for us to compare ourselves, not to some arbitrary standard that we can make ourselves feel good about, but to what the Lord requires. And his assessment is consistent across the board for all of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Paul writes in Romans. Praise God that he doesn't leave us there. That he sent his son to dwell among us, to take on flesh, to live the sinless life we didn't. And to die a death on the cross that we deserved and to rise again from the dead to save all who trust in him. That cross is the great leveler. If we compare ourselves to one another coming to that, we all come out the same. We all need Jesus. We all deserve the same thing, the death that Christ willingly took upon, our, upon himself on our behalf. If you trust in him, as Paul continues in Romans, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on too, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded we have no room or reason for it. If we compare ourselves to others so we can elevate ourselves and boast about who we are and what we've done or look down on them for what they've done or failed to do, then we're not understanding the gospel. Paul says that's what his detractors were doing. They're measuring themselves up against others so they can brag and commend themselves. There's a wordplay that doesn't come across well in English here. I'm going to give you a pretty wooden translation of verse 13 so you can hear it. It says, But we will not boast in an unmeasured way, but according to the measure of the rule that God has imparted to us, a measure that reaches even to you. Paul says they're measuring themselves against one another so that they can boast about how great they are. And they even overreach and claim what we've done. They're claiming the Corinthian church when Paul's the one who brought the message to them, that they're the fruit of his ministry, and yet these people are even claiming him. But Paul says his boasting will be limited to the measure of what God has given. I will go that far and stop. It won't go one inch past what God has done through us. The Corinthians are part of that. He planted their church. These other guys will boast about anything, even stuff they didn't do, as far as they can. But Paul will only boast in what the Lord has done through him. These other leaders are obsessing over themselves in whatever 
credit and glory they can get. And Paul says, we just want the gospel to be preached. He says, we hope your faith will increase, that you'll be on a steadier footing, that you'll be more mature in the gospel so we don't have to keep coming back to you, so that we can keep going, so we can go farther, so that the gospel message will go. For comparing ourselves to others, it shows that we're failing to understand the gospel. But we can be free from that by looking to the Lord instead of at each other. It says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul shortens this quote from Jeremiah 9 that says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's what Paul's been doing. As he's boasted of his authority and his area of influence, he's been boasting in the Lord. He's been directing praise and glory to God. It's not lifting Paul up, glorifying, glorying in what he's done, but every time, right after he says it, he points to the Lord. It's the authority given to me by God, this area of influence that the Lord has given me. Over and over, it's just this pointing back to God. It's a celebration of what God has done through Paul, not of Paul's superiority. If anyone is going to boast, it should be in the Lord and what he has done for us. Because of Jesus, we can know and understand him, the one who loves us. Paul's saying this, this game of comparison has to stop. Stop looking at each other to try and justify yourself, to commend yourself, to lift yourself up. Look to the Lord. His opinion is the one that matters. Not whether you're the better speaker, have the quicker wit, easily draw people's attention, have the family others envy, you're the better mom or dad, have the better job. None of that will approve you. You only have them by the grace of God anyway. There's nothing but God's grace that keeps us from being like or worse than the people we tend to look down upon. We have no room to boast except in God and what he has done for us. We have to abandon this strategy that seeks to justify our worth and existence by how we compare it to others. We have to take this better path where we give up comparing ourselves to others and actually truly believe what God has said about us and who he says we are in Christ. That he loves us. Not because of what we have to offer, but because he loves us. A love that was expressed through Christ's death and resurrection. That nothing can separate us from that. Not our weaknesses and failures, not our quirks and eccentricities, not our lack of discipline or 
even our disobedience, not our mixed motives or our deepest thoughts that lie bare before him. Nothing can separate us from him. If we can believe that and give up on this comparison game, it can feel like death. Because we might actually be letting go of what we're trying to hold on to for life. But it leads to true freedom and peace where we're finally free from worrying about what others think, what they have and what we don't, and how we stack up. We're free from that. And we're free to fully follow Jesus and seek only his commendation, knowing his assessment is the only one that matters. Let us boast in the Lord.